Plum Creek Church, how are you guys doing? I hope you're doing well this weekend. I'm already having an amazing weekend, partly because I'm so excited to be with you guys. I do this every time I'm with you guys and I don't even apologize for it. I'm gonna do it again before we start. I'm just gonna say thank you to you guys on behalf of me and my family. Every time I get the privilege of preaching the gospel to you guys, it's met with such grace and it's met with such affirmation and kindness from, from Doug and Beth all the way on down to you guys. And so I just don't take that lightly and I just wanna say thank you. And this might not be a big deal for you, but this is really cool for me. I'm not just getting to be with you guys this weekend, I get to be with you guys two weekends in a row. And so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna spend the first few minutes just telling you what I think God wants to accomplish with us as a church in the next two weeks. I'm gonna do one sermon and I'm gonna break it up into two weeks, and here's why. Because we're gonna take kind of an autobiographical look at a, a person in scripture that's one of my favorite people to look at. His relationship with Jesus and the, the, the interchanging and inner workings of their relationships teach us so much about the gospel. And I just, if I'm being honest, I, I relate to this guy. And so for the next two weeks, we're gonna look at a guy who's famously known as the Apostle Peter. Now his original name, and we'll see that today in the message, was Simon. And then Jesus, in a really profound moment, changes it to the name Peter. And, and we'll look at that. But, but Pete, if, if you're new to scripture, he was what I would call a five-star general in the redemptive story of God. Because eventually, he's going to get commissioned by Jesus himself to be the first leader of the free church, the way, or as we now call it, Christianity. Like that is a big deal. And one of my favorite things about the Apostle Peter is just his personality. I've always said this, his contemporary, another leader of the church was a guy named Paul. And we hear about Paul a lot because he wrote over half of the New Testament. But I've always said this, I love learning from Paul, but I want to hang with the Apostle Peter. I love getting theology and teaching and challenge from Paul, but I want to party with Peter. And so you know what we're going to do for the next two weeks? We're going to party with the Apostle Peter. And we're going to see him and Jesus and their interactions. And we're going to see the gospel on full display in such beautiful ways. And one of my favorite things about the Apostle Peter is he's just relatable, right? And who doesn't want that? And so I'll just give you a quick bio of him, just some of the attributes and who he was. He was a fisherman by trade. So he's like this kind of like roughneck, strong, blue collar, salt of the earth type guy. Uh, he's hot-headed. You'll see that in his biography. He's impetuous. Uh, I love this because I'm trying to be one. He's a natural born leader. He just goes first. I think that's what leadership is. Right or wrong, good or bad, you just go first. That's Pete. He's a risk taker. A bunch of you, you know that, you're risk takers. I love this because I, I am this, good, right, right or wrong. He's passionate. But there's a, there's a shadow side to passion, right? And it's impulsivity. And we're going to see that in the next two weeks. He is oftentimes impulsive, right? A lot of people are, are ready, aim, fire people, as you should be, not Pete. Pete's ready, fire, aim. That's who he is. He's uh, classically untrained is the nice way to put it. He's, he's uneducated, okay? He, he started fishing at a young age, and he, he missed out on rabbinical training in school. Now, listen to me. Pete is not dumb. Jesus is not commissioning someone arbitrarily to be the leader of the church in its infantile stages because they're dumb. He's just classically untrained. And if you can't relate to any of uh, who Peter is yet, here's why I bring all of us in to relating to him. And, and it's this, he is a complete and total work in progress. And we're going to see this in the next couple weeks. Now, Pete, if you've been in church very long, he tends to get a bad rap in sermons 
almost more than about any one of, of the people that we preach from. I, I picture Pete like at the pearly gates, always waiting for pastors to die and go to heaven so he can confront them about why they always chose to use him as a what not to do sermon. Or like a, he, he's like the guy that they give cautionary tale sermons about, right? And, and the reason is, is because there's some amazing moments with the apostle Peter, but there might actually be more like black marks on his record. And the beauty of that is, and, and we're going to focus on this in the next two weeks, is that for some reason, in the midst of the roller coaster ride that is Pete, Jesus just relentlessly stays committed to him. And in that commitment, we are being taught practically and relationally what the gospel looks like. So I'm going to do this. I don't want to get to heaven someday and have to fight Pete for the sermons I preached. So I, I wrote a sermon, and we'll title it this, 67 A.D., and I'll explain to you why. There's a character trait of God, and we get it in Isaiah 46.10. And we know that Jesus is the express image of God. Jesus is God, Emmanuel, in the flesh, right? So what Jesus does is who God is. And Isaiah tells us this about God, that God knows the end from the beginning. There's a theological word for it. It's called being omniscient, right? God has a capacity in relationship with humans that we as humans don't have with each other in that he knows the end from the beginning. He knows the absolute worst of us, but he also knows the absolute best for us, his original intention for us in ways that no other human relationship does. And so I'm going to do this. We're going to reverse engineer Peter's biography, and we're going to start with his last day on earth. Because listen to me, his last day on earth was his best day on earth. And it took place in 67 AD, and that's the title of the message this week, 67 AD. Historians tell us that the Apostle Peter at this time was the leader of the free church. And it was starting to become this subversive movement that was catching so much traction that Rome and its arrogance was starting to feel threatened. And so what do you do when you feel threatened? Like, like you, you cut a snake off at its head, right? Now, the Church of Christ wasn't a snake, but Rome thought it was. And so what do you do? You take the leader, you take the head, and you cut him off. And so they marched him out into one of the middle streets in Rome to make an example of him. And just like Jesus, he was given capital punishment via Roman crucifixion. Except we're told, in, listen to this, in 67 AD, the apostle Peter requested, we don't know for sure if they did it, but we know that he requested that they crucify him upside down. And his motive was, I don't want to be crucified in the same manner as my Lord and as my Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, here's the gospel beauty in that. I'm going to submit to you for the next two weeks straight that the reason Jesus could show such grace and such relentless compassion and mercy to the Apostle Peter was precisely because God knows the end from the beginning. And Jesus, well, everybody else around Pete, just sees his highs and his lows and his hypocrisy and the degree of human duplicity that Pete almost always has on display. While everybody else knows the good, the bad, and the ugly, Jesus in his goodness, this is the gospel, in his goodness is relentlessly committed to staying focused to 67 AD. Peter's last and his best day. And I want to submit to you, Plum Creek, this is the God we serve. He's the God who is always staying focused on his original intent and design for us. And he's always wooing us and sanctifying us and leading and discipling us towards the best version of ourself. And so I want to do this. I want to go to Matthew 16 
And I want to, now that we know how Peter's life ended, I want to see how his relationship with Jesus got started. In Matthew 16, we don't know how long he had been a disciple of Jesus at this point, but we get this really beautiful moment where the Apostle Peter, and I'll use modern vernacular, he gets quote-unquote saved. Jesus referred to it in the book of John as being born again or crossing over from death to life. And the reason we know that the Apostle Peter is having this salvific moment is because Paul says in Romans that if you will believe in your heart and if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, he says, you shall be saved. And we're going to see a belief and a confession from, G- uh, from Pete excuse me, in Matthew 16. So let's start reading. We're going to pick up in verse 13. It says this, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He stopped and asked his disciples, hey, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And the disciples started to reply, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or maybe one of the other prophets. And then Jesus stops and looks at him and he says, the single most important question every human will ever have to answer. Jesus says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And then of course, right, leaders go first, right? Peter speaks up. And he gets this one really, really, really right. This is the moment I believe that he is saved, according to scripture. He says this. Here's his confession. You are the Messiah. Do you get that, Plum Creek? He's no longer calling him just rabbi or a good teacher with some unique knack for the supernatural. He's going, no, 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 no. I am declaring you this one me and my people have been waiting on and praying for for the last 2,000 years. You are the Messiah. You are the Son, capital S, of the living God. And Jesus affirms the salvation moment by doing this. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon. That's his original name, the name he still had at this point. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and by blood, but by my Father in heaven. Now watch this. This is so cool. This is gospel stuff. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter, getting a new name. That's what salvation does. It renames you. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now listen to this. Pete, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Pete, whatever you bind on earth now will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth, Pete, will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. And so we're going to stop right there and then we'll pick back up. But the implications are too big for us not to stop. Every kid in first century Judea, when they were given a name by their parents, especially boys, their names were prophetic. Meaning they didn't just give them some random name because the parents looked at it on a name list and thought it was cool or because it was popular that year. They gave names believing that their names were going to match their destiny. Their names were going to match who they were. And I don't know what was going on in Peter's house with Peter's parents. I don't know if, if he made them mad or something, but they named him Simon. And Simon in the Greek and Hebrew translates to the word pebble. My guess, I'm, I'm going to be nice to his parents here, my guess is he was a preemie, right? Peter's impulsive anyways. Peter's like ready, fire, aim. It would make sense that he shot out early, right? Like, like he came out of the womb early. So I'm guessing maybe he was a preemie and he was tiny, But the problem is about the time you're in junior high, right? You get what we call in America, little man syndrome, right? And if that was the case, knowing that your name prophetically meant that you were small in stature or pebble-like, 
like that's going to give you an edge, right? You're going to start to overcompensate. So he gets the name Simon, and then when he has this salvation moment, Jesus does what the gospel always does in us, what salvation always does in us. He starts to immediately speak to who God originally destined Peter to be, not what everybody else saw in him. And so Jesus changes his name to Peter, which in the Greek is what? It's Petra. And it means this. It means rock. And the definition of Peter is this. It's you're a person who's immovable, unshakable, sturdy. That's what Jesus is saying when Peter gets saved. Pete, here's who you really are. I don't care what people have called you. I don't care uh, the bad names you've called yourself. Here's who you really are, Pete. You're a man who's immovable. You're a man who's unshakable. You're a man who is the personification of sturdy. Do you know why Jesus could say that with integrity? Because the disciples, when they heard him get the name Pete, were probably laughing. I mean, I picture them thinking like, Jesus, I don't mean to laugh, no disrespect, but you and Pete just kind of met each other a while ago. You're still kind of in your honeymoon phase. And Pete's real good at that. But if you hang out with him as long as we have, like he's a hot mess of walking hypocrisy. Like one minute he's amazing and then the next minute he's just a fool. Jesus, like, you can't trust me. Of all the people in our group, you can't give Peter the name Rock. It's, it's like the coolest wrestling name ever, and he won't steward it well. He's going to get cocky, not humble. Like, you can't trust me. That won't go. You can't give him the keys to the kingdom. You can't call him on the rock. I'm going to build my church. You can't, you can't give him the authority to bind and loose Jesus. We promise you it's not going to go well. But Plum Creek, listen to me. What does Jesus know that none of them know? 67 AD, right? Jesus knows the end from the beginning, and he's always working from the best of us, not the worst of us. This is why when Jesus says the greatest command is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, it's not because God is narcissistic and needs to be first. It's because there's no human relationship that you could ever, even if you have the best marriage with the healthiest spouse, there is no human relationship that knows the end from the beginning and has the capacity to relentlessly and nonstop just see the best in you and call that out. I love what Jesus does right there. He changes Peter's name before he changes his behavior. Because in this week and the next week, we're going to look at a multitude of Peter's mistakes. And you would think that Jesus would, 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 like after some of his mistakes, start to revoke the name. But we're going to see that he stays Pete forever, all the way up till his martyred death on a cross. This is who Jesus is, Plum Creek. I hope you're getting this. This is how good his grace is. He changes your name, seals it, speaks it over you before your behavior ever even changes. In fact, I would argue that is the fuel with which our human behavior actually changes over time for the better, and we see it in the life of the Apostle Pete. So here's what I want us to see, and I'm going to prove this right away. We're just going to keep reading the narrative, and I'm going to show you how quickly Peter's behavior starts to go south. Right after he gets saved, he gets the keys to the kingdom. He starts binding and loosing, right? He gets called the rock on, on, on which Jesus is going to build his church. Look, what's hap- look what happens next. Matthew 16, verse 21. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples 
that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And that he, listen to this, must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Peter, the rock, took Jesus, the creator of human life, the one who actually knows how many hairs are on Peter's head, the one who knit him together in his mother's womb, Peter, two seconds after being saved, two seconds after being named Pete, took him aside and, listen to this, began to rebuke him. He goes, never, Lord. This shall never happen to you, right? Like, not on my watch. And Jesus turned to him and said, and this had to shock Peter, and probably bless the disciples. He said, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) Like, Pete, you're a stumbling block to me right now. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus is saying, in other words, like the single biggest reason I came to earth was to go to the cross, Pete, and you just told me you're gonna do everything in your power to keep me from going to the cross. Get behind me, Satan. And I love this picture in the scriptures because it shows us, it tells on the human heart, but it also tells us just how good Jesus is. How good God is in the person of Jesus. Because if I'm being honest, this is the moment where I look at Pete, and this is why I'm not Jesus. This is why I was not God. I'm, I'm not kind enough. But this is where I look at Pete and go, Pete, two seconds after getting saved, and getting the keys to the kingdom, and getting the, the new coolest wrestler name ever, The Rock, you're already screwing it up. You're already getting my heart wrong. And so I'm going to let you continue to follow me because I'm merciful and I'm good. But as a good parent, I'm going to need those keys to the kingdom back, right? I- I'm going to need that whole binding and loosing thing. Yeah, I'm going to have to take that privilege away because clearly you're not ready for it. Plum Creek, doesn't it almost sound like, like good parenting to do that, right? Like that would be one of our parenting tactics. But Jesus is otherworldly. He's bigger than that. Do you know why Jesus lets him stay the Apostle Pete and doesn't condescend to him and doesn't take away all of his titles and all of his authority? Because of this, 67 AD. Jesus knows what he's capable of. Jesus knows the amount of dynamic divinity that was placed in the womb on the Apostle Peter and he just relentlessly sticks to it. But I picture the disciples being like, like I, I, I picture like, like this going down with Pete. I picture like Pete going over to the disciples and saying, did you just hear Jesus? Like the, Rome's going to try and kill him. You know, he just gave me the name rock. Like, like, right. Like, like, you know, I have, I have power now to bind and to loose. I'm going to go have a talk. I'm going to go, I'm going to go rebuke him. Watch this. And I, I picture the disciples being like, Pete, please don't. This guy has been raising people from the dead. This guy's, this guy's like spitting in the dirt and, and putting it on blind guy's eyes and they're, they're seeing. Like, please don't go rebuke him. And Pete's like, no, 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 I'm gonna rock. They're gonna see what the rock is cooking. Watch this. Jesus, you, me now, let's go, right? And I picture Jesus like, yes, Pete. And he's like, they're not gonna crucify you. Uh-uh, not, not on my watch. I will not let that happen on my watch because I am the rock and I will bind and I will loose. And, and, and Jesus goes, get behind me, Satan. And, Picture Peter thinking, wait, what? Like, I thought we were going to like chest bump and you were going to be like, Pete, thank you so much because I was just, you know, I needed to hear that, Pete. I was just having a bad day and, you know, I was just starting to get down on myself and, you know, this whole Messiah thing's been real tough and you know what? Thank you. Yeah, they're not putting me on a cross. Let's go, right? Didn't happen. And then I picture Pete having to eat crow and he goes over to the disciples like, fellas, 
listen, Jesus and I actually talked it over again, and we both, you know, in our leadership and our authority, we both decided that we're going to actually let him go to the cross. And I picture the disciples being like, dude, he called you Satan, didn't he? And Pete's like, yeah, he did. Let's go. Like, right? Like, like that's why I love this guy. Just a roller coaster ride of good, bad, and ugly. And I don't know about you, but I fully relate to that. And again, Plum Creek, the beautiful thing is Jesus strongly rebukes him, which is loving, but he doesn't take away his name. He doesn't put him on a probationary period. He doesn't take away his authority. He corrects him and they move on. Why? 67 AD. There is no human relationship as healthy as one can be where someone will be as relentlessly committed to your story and to your goodness and to your thriving and to reminding you endlessly. This is what the gospel does. It just keeps like like cold water in a desert pouring over someone's soul. It just keeps speaking to who you are, not who you aren't, not how you've screwed up, not your failures, not all your mistakes, but Jesus and God just relentlessly keep teaching us, hey, I have made you for more than you're currently experiencing because this nasty thing called sin got in the way, but I have now conquered sin. I call you perfect before you're fully holy because your perfection isn't found in your performance. Your perfection, Plum Creek Church, is found in my performance on the cross, and so that frees up space for the living, sovereign, holy God to even at your lowest moments look at you and still speak life into you and still call you what he destined you to be. And I would argue one of the moments, like think of, like, think of Peter. Remember, remember the classic moment where, where Peter, uh, Jesus is walking on water and they're all scared, but then they realize it's Jesus. As soon as G- Peter realizes it's Jesus, he says, hey, can I come out on water too? Like, can I break the laws of science with you too? And Jesus says, yeah, come on. And he, and he gets out there. But you know what ends up happening? He looks left and right and he looks at the storms and he gets scared and he starts sinking. Does he lose his title? Does he lose his authority? No. Even when he's sinking, do you know what? He's still closer to Jesus than the disciples in the boat who are dry and have their pride intact. And I think Jesus appreciates that. Think, think about this. Later on, right before Jesus is going to the cross, Peter valiantly cuts off the ear of a Roman policeman trying to defend Jesus from crucifixion. Jesus picks up nicely the ear and puts it back on. But Peter, even though he got it wrong, he did it with good motives, and he was being so courageous and valiant when he cut that ear off. Twelve hours later, he's denying three times he even knows who Jesus is to a teenage girl for fear of getting in trouble. And I don't know about you, but I relate to that. That's the duplicity of the human heart. That to me is his worst moment. And next weekend, this is why you can't miss, we're gonna pick up where this leaves off, where where Peter had just finished denying Jesus three times. He's on the, the back end of his biggest mistake so far, and we are just gonna continually seeing Jesus' response to his mistakes and his hypocrisy and his duplicity and his worst moments. And we're gonna keep reminding ourselves the reason is 67 AD. And Plum Creek, listen to me, you have a 67 AD. You have that moment 
that God is always working from and you and your best friends and your spouse and your parents and your coworkers, they don't know what that moment is. They don't know what you're capable of, what you were really designed for, but God does and the gospel allows us to lean into that and not just lean into that, but to rest in that. So we're gonna do this if you're at home. We're about to sing a new song. And I know sometimes that can be weird because you don't know the words. Uh, worship how you want. Some of you will, will worship by just listening to the words. Some of you, you might already know the song from a different place and you can just sing along. But the, the, the song's called Prophesy Your Promise. And, and it's, it's beautiful for this week and it's beautiful for next week because it confronts fear. It confronts shame, which we'll be looking at those two things next week. But this week, it also talks about how gracious God is to us in the process. And that our job is to just simply prophesy that what God speaks over us, what God names us, is yet again this week true. Why? So we can go out into the world until we meet again and we can live fully. We can treat people with such kindness and grace and compassion and mercy. Why? Because we've been given that. So at home, if you would just do this, if you would lean into the words of this song, this song, we carefully selected it for this moment and just pray that you would realign your heart back to the goodness of who you are and who God says you are because you are loved, you are holy, you are blameless, you are chosen, you are adopted into God's kingdom with the full rights of heirs, you are sealed in the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance, you are a co-heir of Christ. That is who you are. Live that way this week. I love you. Do not miss next week. Let's worship.